Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency, whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious. I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this week we're chatting with Raphael Cosman, the co-founder and CEO of Trust Token, which is the company behind TruFi. It is a perfect time to be having this chat with all that's happening in the world of stable coins and of course, crypto lending, where we have seen some pretty interesting things happen over the last few weeks. We're going to be unpacking why these events happened, but also doing quite a bit of education around the different types of lending, stable coins, and the risks associated with these. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Raphael Cosman. It is so wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you, Alicia. It's great to be on. Now, most of our listeners will probably be familiar with a couple of your products, but for those that aren't, can you let us know a little bit about your background and what you're up to at the moment? Sure. So my background is I studied computer science at Stanford, worked for a little while at Google doing AI research, and then started this company, Trust Token, that I'm still working on now. Um, We've been going for about five or six years now. And we've got a couple of major products in crypto that have really defined, you know, pretty significant sectors. So the first one was our fiat-backed stablecoin, TrueUSD. So that was the first major US dollar-backed stablecoin after Tether. It really pioneered like the modern way of building those kinds of products. And since then, we now have USDC and BUSD and HUSD and GUSD and PAX and a gazillion other stablecoins have come out with a very similar model, one for one backed with US dollars. And we see that as a really important foundational layer for a lot of things that are happening in crypto, having good stablecoins you can trust, and especially for what's happening in DeFi, uh, which brings me to our second major product, which is called TrueFi. And it's a protocol for uncollateralized lending on the blockchain. And that really was the first protocol for cloud I was lending on the blockchain. Now there's a whole bunch. There's Maple and Centrifuge and Goldfinch and a handful of others. And that's really part of a second wave of modern DeFi products. There's kind of a first wave that was Compound, Aave, Maker, doing over-collateralized lending on chain, which is a super interesting market. In some ways, a lot simpler, which is part of why it happened first. And there's this more complex, trickier question of how do you do uncollateralized and undercollateralized lending on the blockchain? And that is what our company and a lot of handful of other companies are working on right now. So two major things, you know, really trying to push forward what's going on in crypto and what kinds of real world applications we can bring crypto to. And really disrupting the space and innovating in it as well, which I think is so exciting. And I can't wait to unpack these a little bit more with you because I know for some of our listeners, they'll be like, oh yeah, okay, I've heard of this, but don't actually, you know, understand what it all means. So we're definitely going to go into that today. Before we do, the question that we ask everyone to the podcast is when was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? I don't remember if I purchased a little bit before this, but my first significant crypto purchase was putting in a bunch of money at the 2017 Bitcoin peak. Not like the exact top, but pretty darn close to the top. Yeah. And then at some point in like, you know, the 2018 or 2019 bear market, selling that and later realizing, wow, that was such a great lesson. Like it was enough money to hurt, but it wasn't enough money to, you know, put me on the streets or anything like that. Uh, That was the perfect lesson that the world gave me of like exactly how retail traders can lose money and how it's so easy to 
buy when everyone's super excited about something and sell when everyone is so bearish about it. And you actually want to do exactly the opposite. And I think that was a very good education. Since then, I think I've become a savvier trader. So I do think that if folks listening to the podcast are in trading or want to get into trading, you know, it definitely, you can have some tough knocks along the way and you have to learn your lessons from those. Yeah. And so much of it is mindset as well. And, you know, persevering through when it was that bear market and you did sell, what pushed you to make that decision? Oh, good question. Me and friends of mine thought it was going to go even lower, which it did for a while. But then, of course, it came roaring back even higher. You know, just wanted to have more liquid cash to be able to buy or invest in other things. So, yeah. And I think it, it is so tough. It is so tough to keep hanging on. And, like, you know, even for some people now, just seeing and wondering if you've picked the bottom or what's going to happen next. Like, you know, none of us can predict that, which is why what we love talking about at the moment is the stuff that's still happening, the educating people around the tech that's happening in the space and, you know, the advancements that are still going on. So you can make those really educated decisions around where you are wanting to, to still continue to invest. Yeah. And Alicia, I will say that. My personal philosophy and what I recommend to most people is unless you're planning on doing it full time, I would recommend just leaving it to professionals because you're going to be competing against people that are trading full time. So either make that your main focus and become a fantastic trader and maybe even work at a trading firm or decide, hey, I'm going to put my money into an ETF or put my money into a hedge fund or let some other professional or I'm going to just buy and hold and not day trade, you know, but I think just actively trading one's own position can be a very risky maneuver. So I personally, my main focus is, of course, less on the investing side, more on the company building side. And I can look at these things and I can say, okay, what does the industry need right now? What are the major holes that are missing? And see, okay, you know, we've done this in lending, we're missing that. We've done this in stable coins, we're missing that. And you just see what we need to take things to the next level. Yes, yes, 100%. And especially at the moment, I think, you know, because things are changing so quickly as well. It's so hard to keep your fingers on the pulse. So speaking of gaps, what led you to creating Trust Token? What was the starting point of that whole journey there? Well, so when my friends and I co-founded the company, it was actually starting out doing something completely different. It started out as a company, we made software to help people do their estate planning. So software for people to make wills and trusts. And it was actually in 2017 that we pivoted the company completely into crypto and launched TreeUSD. And part of what we saw is we saw that stable coins were a really key part of where crypto was going to go. And at the time, there's only Tether. You know, it was very nascent. But we could tell the writing was on the wall with stable coins. And there were a lot of teams that were purely technical teams trying to build a purely technical solution. And part of what we realized is, hey, we had a team that was technical, but we also had like full-time attorneys on the team from the very beginning. It was the very first person we ever hired on the team was actually an attorney. And that mix of skills in our DNA allowed us to see things that other people didn't about how to connect real-world assets, in this case, US dollars, to the blockchain, you know, very trustworthy and compliant way that allows you to deliver a better product than something that may just be purely crypto, like an algorithmic stable coin, which of course we've seen some issues with it recently. So that's kind of part of our DNA as a company and part of what makes us unique is we do tend to see those gaps between what's happening in traditional finance or in fintech and in crypto. And that's oftentimes where some of the most interesting opportunities lie. 
And then speaking of those different types of stable coins, we are going to do an episode like purely around this and unpacking this, but at a high level, can you explain the kind of difference between like a fiat backed stable coin versus an algorithmic one? Totally. Okay. So fiat backed stable coins like TrueUSD and USDC have a very simple model. They work with a bank and you can send in, let's say a thousand dollar bank wire to that bank. And then you will get a thousand of the stablecoin minted to your wallet. Alternatively, you could send in a thousand of the stablecoin, they will be burned, and then the bank will send you a thousand dollar wire. So the stablecoin is always backed by fiat currency one for one. And today, TrueUSD has a market capitalization of about 1.2 billion. So there's 1.2 billion TrueUSD in circulation globally. And the banking partners that we work with, mostly in the US, one of which is abroad, are holding. billion in bank accounts that are backing those tokens in circulation. So one for one backed. That model, it was partly pioneered by us. It has become the predominant model for stable coins, but it is not the only model. There's actually a whole spectrum from these fiat backed ones, where it's just backed one for one with US dollars. There's over collateralized crypto backed stable coins like DAI, which you may have heard of from the project maker, which is backed, you know, every one die is backed by more than a dollar of a cryptocurrency like Ether or something else, which is interesting because those assets are volatile. It's not actually backed by dollars, but because it's over collateralized, they can liquidate those assets if the price of Ether or the price of another one of those assets begins to drop. And then moving along the spectrum to things that are a little bit more complex and more risky, there are things that are backed by some crypto assets, but may not be fully collateralized, may be partially collateralized. And then there's things that are, quote unquote, purely algorithmic. And this includes things like UST from Terra, which recently had a major disaster that sent waves to the entire crypto ecosystem that we are still feeling to this day. It is part of why we are in so much crypto chaos at this exact moment. And there, something like $15 billion of value in stable coins, and then even more in the Luna token as well, were wiped out extremely quickly because of a fundamental issue with this algorithmic design. And the algorithmic design, it's a very cool idea, but it has to be done properly. And in this case, it clearly wasn't. And the idea is that you can take one of your UST stablecoin tokens, and you can at any time, you can quote unquote, redeem it for a freshly minted dollar of the Luna token, which is a volatile cryptocurrency part of the Terra ecosystem. Now, the issue with that is now you redeem a million UST tokens, you get a million dollars of Luna. Let's say you sell those for US dollars, right? Now the price of Luna is lower. The next person that wants to redeem UST tokens gets even more Luna tokens for it to be worth a million dollars. They sell those, the price of Luna goes even lower. Pretty soon you end up with huge amounts of Luna flooded into circulation, the price of Luna can crash to almost zero and people can't get out of the UST token fast enough. It's basically a run on the bank. And there aren't real assets like other cryptocurrencies like Ether or ultimately something like US dollars, which is really the most solid backing for a USD stablecoin. There aren't real assets there to help protect the stablecoin. So that's kind of the range of stablecoin designs as we see it. And the products that we are most interested in sit all the way over here in sort of the most conservative, most compliant, and 
of the spectrum. And I think the rest of that spectrum is very interesting. I think we're going to see over the coming years a lot of exciting products coming out there. But consumers should be very careful and traders should be very careful about what you're investing in and what you're holding because a lot of things that might be called stable coins may not necessarily deserve that title. And I think that's where there were so many issues as well, because people saw the word stablecoin and kind of had this high level understanding of it, but perhaps not to that next level of detail where they understood what type of stablecoin they're investing in and, you know, really how it worked. So when we saw something happen, like what did happen with Luna, you know, understanding that that could even be a risk in the first place was something that I think a lot of people weren't aware of. With that volatility and with, I guess, what happened, there's so much nervousness in the market and people are so anxious around, you know, stable coins in general. What do you think we are going to see here moving forward? Well, that's a great question. I don't have my crystal ball with me, but what I would like to see is more differentiation in these products. At a minimum, people making it clear that something is an algorithmic or a crypto-backed stablecoin as opposed to a fiat-backed stablecoin. And better yet, those products actually being described significantly differently or designed significantly differently because the core issue with something like UST is, well, you can design a product like that if you want, but you should think of it as a bond, like a high-yield, high-risk bond that could totally default any time. And that should be baked into the way the stablecoin is designed. Like, hey, here's this really interesting, aggressive, algorithmic design that we came up with. It's a bond. You know, we're not going to call it a stablecoin. It's a high-risk bond. You're going to be paid 20% APY, but it also might crash to zero if the system fails, okay? That, to me... That's a legit financial product that someone could come up with and sell and disclose all the risks. But to label something like that, to brand it as a stable coin is a big mistake. They should be focusing on, you know, make the risks very clear to users and make sure that users are getting appropriately compensated for the significant risks that they're taking. And if people want to take a bet on that, that's fine with me. But it really should be branded as, okay, here's a high yield, high risk, synthetic bond like asset. That's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah. And I think there's that whole sentiment and you have so many people still in today's world that think of the world crypto and they're like, oh, no, no, it's just a scam or it's just used for, you know, the black market because that's what they've heard. That's what they're exposed to. They haven't done that next level of education. And I think there's that risk that we are sort of starting to see that with stable coins now because people are like, oh, no, no, no. Like, didn't you see what happened with Luna and, you know, all these things that have gone on in the last few months, but not really understanding that level. So I'm so excited that you've unpacked that today and people can really start to look into that and educate themselves a little bit more. Something else that I'm so excited to have your views on is crypto lending, of course. And the things that have happened there, because we've seen, you know, just this last week, we've seen Celsius, they previously paused their withdrawals. They've now filed for bankruptcy, which is huge. What do you think has happened? What's gone on? Yeah, great question. So that is another place where we are seeing huge waves sweeping through the industry. And that was partly triggered by the UST debacle, but also you know, is somewhat independent of that and related to a broader macro market crash and crypto market crash. So a lot of things affecting the industry, but there's a chain reaction going on right now with Three Arrows toppling and Celsius toppling. And now a lot of their lenders are potentially at risk. And so from our perspective, we've created a very pioneering 
DeFi protocol that does lending on the blockchain. It's called TrueFi. You can see it at TrueFi.io. And our perspective is that these sorts of products are always going to have risk. There's no question. There's no lending business without risk. There's no lending business without some defaults. But the thing that blockchain can do that has never really happened in TradFi or CFI, centralized finance like Celsius, is a level of transparency and trust that we think these products can bring if they are truly decentralized on the blockchain. And that is, you know, my company's called Trust Token. There's a reason why we're calling that. And I hope folks will reach out to us if this is the sort of thing that you're interested in or passionate about. But if you have, you know, a lending protocol like TrueFi, we've got lending pools, a bunch of different lending pools with different strategies, with different managers, with different assets that you can uh, put your stable coin or now even some volatile cryptocurrencies into. They'll be lent out. But the beauty of this is it's all on chain and you can literally go to the TrueFi.io website and you can see the history of every single loan that the protocol has made since it was launched in November of 2020. The exact terms of that loan, the exact status, you know, what borrower went out to, when it was repaid, everything, all of that is transparent on the blockchain. You compare that to what's happening with Celsius or Three Arrows. Part of the issue is, look, if I put my money into Celsius, you have no transparency about what they're doing. And yes, they've got a great website and they seem like very smart people and they're hopefully doing good things with it, but you just don't have that transparency. That's the core issue with that CFI model. And that issue has played out in TradFi for decades or even centuries. You just do not have transparency into what's happening with your funds. That's why we go to the bank. The bank always has this big building with the big white marble columns, right? Why? It's because you can't actually see what they're doing with your money. So they have to have this big, impressive building and this big, impressive name and, you know, hope to earn your trust that way because you can't actually see what they're doing with your cash. And that is what crypto is really about. So it's about creating that kind of transparency. You can go on the blockchain. You can see exactly what these DeFi protocols are doing. You can read the code. You can reason about whether you like how it works. And you can decide based on that if you want to participate or not. And I think that transparency, like really understanding, you know, liquidity and really understanding how it's all working. And I think it's really interesting to just, again, have transparency in the whole methodology of what you're doing. And I think as well, like crypto lending, again, is that place that's going to come under so much scrutiny now. And it's going to be something that that definitely needs some form of regulation and definitely needs some oversight there. But if you are providing that level of information, you know, half the job's already done which I think is really interesting as well. The other thing that you, of course, do, everything is on chain, but the risk scoring and I guess the analysis that you do, can you talk us through what that looks like? Totally. So the way our protocol is built is that you have lending portfolios that are managed by different managers who have lots of different strategies. And those managers make those credit decisions. And many of them do happen off chain. They'll be based on looking at a borrower's revenue and balance sheet and what sorts of liabilities they have, you know, all kinds of normal off-chain underwriting process. But part of what's interesting about them when you do that lending on-chain, first of all, you can actually see all those loans. You can see money going out. You can see money coming back. You can see all the terms on-chain. You can literally, TrueFi has originated. We just passed $1.6 billion of loans originated, $1.6 billion. So this is, this is seriously happening. It's at scale. We want to add several more zeros onto the end of that and get into the tens or hundreds of billions. That's when we're actually going to be making an impact on how lending works globally. But 
$1.6 billion of loans originated, that's already a very significant amount of lending that's happening on the blockchain and is making truly provable on-chain credit data. So now our protocol and many other protocols can literally look at a borrower's address and can see, oh, look, you have repaid $15 million over the course of 12 months to the TrueFi protocol. And we can actually see the stablecoin moving from the protocol to you and back again. And we can see your interest payments and everything checks out. That's a level of transparency about someone's credit history that has never been seen before. You know, off-chain, this stuff is all locked up. You know, there's credit bureaus, there's folks like S&P, there are a lot of different actors that are holding all kinds of different credit data and finding ways to sell it and monetize it. And on-chain, there's a level of transparency that has not been seen before. So I would say, answer your question, I'd say, in right now, the credit data that's being used to inform the lending comes from a combination of on-chain and off-chain sources. But part of what we're excited about is the more that we and other protocols do on-chain and the more that DeFi grows as a whole, the more actual lending and trading and everything data you actually have on the blockchain in one place that you can then use to power that financial system in an even more effective way. And I think it's such an exciting space. Like, you know, in Australia in particular, we are just seeing kind of the evolution of open banking. And guys, if you haven't looked into that particular subject, like, you know, it's again about sharing data between different sources and validating things. And I just think the future of lending, it just, it needs some sort of evolution. It needs some sort of shakeup, which I think this can certainly do. Like, you know, there's of course a, a lot of other areas to unpack, but if we're just thinking about the process of getting a loan, at the moment, especially if you've tried to do it this year, like getting a house loan here in Australia, it is such an ordeal. The paperwork that you've got to provide and the validation, all of that is tangible data that should be readily accessible. It should be something that is immutable. It should be something that is provided, you know, in a central location that can be accessed. And I think that's where there's the really exciting opportunity for this type of lending as well, is just the ease that it could come with in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, there's this joke that you know, you go to the bank, you come home, and the first thing you do is you log in and buy some more Bitcoin, right? But the kernel of truth there is that all of us that have done anything with banks and with traditional financial institutions have felt the pain that you're describing. If you bought a house and tried to get a mortgage or even just sent a bank wire, you know, or you have a checking account or a savings account and you're earning essentially nothing or in Europe, even a negative rate. You know, we've all felt that pain and we just haven't asked enough, wow, there's got to be a better way to do these things. And that is really what DeFi is about. And that's honestly why I am the most excited about DeFi among all the other areas in crypto. I mean, crypto gaming, NFTs, there's a lot of different sectors that are interesting and are very hot and have a lot of potential, but it's decentralized finance that I think is the most solid, the most tangible application of crypto technology and where I think it's going to get from, you know, the kinds of billions or tens of billions size that it's at now up into the trillions and truly changing, maybe even replacing how a lot of these global financial systems work. Yeah. And I think it's the most archaic as well. Like it's the area that needs it the most. And I think like, you know, again, comparing it overseas, if you haven't done a lot of travel, even just tap to pay, like, you know, contactless payments in Australia, that's such a common thing for us. But in the States, even like 
traveling through there, that's not really a thing. Like, you know, there's still people that are heavily using checks and all of these methods that are just so restrictive and difficult and challenging to use. And so there is so much opportunity for innovation here beyond what we're already seeing across the world, like really integrating blockchain and crypto, which again, yeah, so excited to see what happens here. Absolutely. Me too. And so the other side, and I guess the part that people are nervous about with lending is, of course, margin calls. When we're seeing people who have, I guess, got a loan and it's based on something like ETH or Bitcoin and they've got that secured and the price of that has dropped so significantly. And so then they, of course, need to put up more assets and then, you know, put up more and more and more in terms of the the fiat that they've pulled out. What do you think we can do in this space and how can we continue to, I guess, move forward with crypto lending, with the volatility in the market that we also see? It's a good question. So our protocol, TrueFi, doesn't really do that kind of lending because we really focus on uncollateralized lending. And what you're describing, you know, really happens with the over-collateralized protocols like Aave, Compound and Maker or centralized applications, whether it's Celsius or someone else that is doing an over-collateralized loan with crypto assets. And in that situation, I do think if you're ever considering getting a loan of that type, I think one should really question if it might be worth selling some of those assets rather than borrowing against them. Because sometimes people use these types of loans to be able to keep 100% or sometimes even more than 100% of their total net worth in crypto. Some of them are, you know, literally levered up on crypto with their net worth. And that can be really dicey. So I would recommend folks have some of their portfolio in crypto, but definitely not too much. And just remember, it's such a volatile asset class that, you know, one of, my, one of our investors and one of my favorite thought leaders in crypto is Ari Paul, CIO at Block Tower Capital. He has an amazing Twitter. If anyone doesn't follow him, you've got to follow him. And one of the things that he keeps harping on is crypto is so volatile, you almost never need leverage. It's rarely a good idea to take leverage. I mean, even in equities, you rarely need leverage, right? You oftentimes can just hold an, you know, hold an equity portfolio long term. So if I said about equities long term and do just fine, you don't necessarily need that leverage. Crypto, even more so, you really don't need the leverage. So, you know, folks who are, have a strategy like that, I really would consider if that is a good move or if something more conservative might serve you better. And again, I think this is just back to that education piece in that people now associate crypto lending with methods like that. And there are other options. Like, you know, you explained how TrueFi works. And I think people just need to be so aware of what you're going into, which I think when there was a bull market and everything was happening, you know, we didn't necessarily think about the bigger picture and the risks. And so now I think, you know, as awful as it has been, it is a really good time to really step again back into that education space and understand what you're doing here. Absolutely. And Alicia, I will say that in terms of buying assets, you know, this kind of down market, and I think it might get even lower you know, this is the best time to be acquiring assets slowly, carefully, don't overdo it because, you know, you don't know where the bottom is going to be. But, you know, you can be dollar cost averaging in conservatively or buying each new low so that you're getting a good mixture of pretty favorable prices. But I like the idea of, you know, personally having a mix of some cryptocurrencies that you're excited about or an investment in some kind of DAO or some kind of fund that's giving you a diversified set of cryptocurrencies. And then also some investments in DeFi protocols where you might just be earning a very attractive rate, 5%, 10% on your stablecoin holdings. So you're somewhat diversified, but then of course, making sure you've got assets 
uh, outside of crypto as well. Yes. And speaking of rates, really interesting start that you've had over $27.5 million in interest paid out to people as well. So can you explain how that works? Well, like we, we've done a you know $1.6 billion of loans with zero defaults so far. So you probably should get some interest on that. But yes, uh, borrowers are borrowing from TrueFi at an average rate of, uh, so I checked a while ago and it was 9.25%. It might be a little higher or lower since then, but you know, pretty attractive rate. And if you compare that with protocols like Compound, Ave, and Maker that are doing over collateralized loans, people are oftentimes only willing to pay one, two, or 3% to get a loan for a protocol like that if they have to put up 150% or 130% collateral. If they don't have to put up collateral, they're of course willing to pay a lot more. Oftentimes that's eight, nine, 10%. And many of these are very, very large legitimate firms like Alameda Research is actually the first borrower ever on our platform and still one of our largest. And so these are extremely credit worthy firms and we have portfolio managers on the platform that are doing very careful underwriting and making sure that, you know, we aren't taking the protocols and the lending pools that are on there are not taking risks that are not commensurate with the interest rate that are being paid. So the way that you think about an investment like this overall is a lending portfolio on TrueFi or another protocol, it's going to try to make a bunch of different loans to a bunch of different borrowers at different rates and different terms and different sizes, but have them be blended such that overall, when you take into account any defaults that exist across that portfolio, the rate still ends up being attractive and ends up matching or exceeding what you would get in another protocol, like a compound or an Aave that is taking collateral. So that, that's kind of how we think about it and how we think about risk return. And at least so far, that's performed really well. Um, we did have one of our competitors recently announced their first default. Our protocol has so far done an extremely good job of weathering this storm. That's due to some of the excellent asset managers that we have on there. Of course, there is no lending without some defaults. It's going to happen at some point. But you know, we're just trying to make sure that we are being as smart as possible with the risks that we're taking and are putting in the best protections that we can for all of our lenders and stakers and other participants in the protocol. Yeah. And I think that transparency will go a long way to that as well. Like, you know, in the past, if you did have a bad credit score, if you defaulted on a loan, there were only certain people that could see that. When that is on a ledger that everyone can access, that that's very, very public. So I think it's really interesting. Exactly. That is part of the power of TrueFi. It's, and when we do lending on chain, it's that as a borrower, you want to borrow from TrueFi because every loan you repay is provable on-chain credit history that's building up your you know, global credit score for this protocol or any other protocol you want to borrow from. But also the flip side of that is you default on even one loan, and that also is going to be completely public on-chain. And so you got to be very, very careful of that. So if you are a legitimate borrower who is going to be repaying all of their loans, then this is a great deal because you are going to be you know, getting the credit for that. Whereas if you make a private deal over the counter where Alicia says, hey, Alicia's going to lend me $10,000, you know, we signed something, right? That's completely private. I'm not building up any credit history once I repay that. Here, it is a large asset that our borrowers are building up. So that's part of the trust. And we think that that's really part of the power of DeFi overall as this ecosystem really gets spun up. Definitely. Now, the last thing I want to touch on super quickly before we wrap is something very exciting that we haven't spoken about on the podcast before, and that is tranching. And it's something that you mentioned that the team are working on at the moment. Can you explain what this is and what it's going to mean? 
Yeah, so tranching is a big project that we've been working on. It's basically, we're going to be launching portfolios that support three different tranches. There's an equity tranche, a junior tranche, and a senior tranche. And the portfolio can basically have a bunch of loans where you know the equity tranche takes the first loss, junior tranche takes the loss after that, and the senior tranche only takes a loss if the equity tranche and the junior tranche have both been wiped out. And we're going to be releasing this soon. You're going to be able to see all the details in our docs. But you know, it's getting something like that right is complicated. It's something that we've been working on for quite a while, and that people in traditional finance have spent decades and decades figuring out and optimizing. So we are learning from all the contacts and the portfolio managers and the users that we have on the TradFi side, but then also really looking at what we have in terms of DeFi technology and figuring out how we adapt that and do something that makes sense and leverages all the benefits of DeFi. So we're really putting two together and building what we think is a truly great tranching product that can offer these different levels of risk. So if we have a lender, like let's say MakerDAO, right? MakerDAO is interested in having a lot more diverse assets that are backing DAI, but they may want those to be more conservative assets and so they would be a really good fit for going into some of these senior tranches. And that's actually something that we have been actively talking to them about and have made some proposals from our community to their community. Um, we might have other investors that are a lot more aggressive and want to go into the junior or the equity tranches. And they're going to be getting a higher rate, of course, also taking the first loss if anything bad happens. So really, really important thing for our protocol to get right, especially if we want to build something that's going to appeal to a wide variety of investors and even investors from TradFi that are coming in and saying, hey, what in crypto do I feel comfortable lending to? And if they see a really well-built tranching product like what we're designing and are going to be shipping soon, that's going to get them more comfortable saying, okay, you know, I'm familiar with this, I understand it, and I feel comfortable deploying maybe 10 million, maybe 100 million, maybe even more capital into a product like this. So that's really where we're going. It's so, so exciting. And I think as well, just again, bringing back that familiarity for these people, like they know what this is, they're familiar with it, as you said. And so just bridging that gap, which I think even in DAOs, you know, we have an episode a little while ago where we found ways for DAOs to be something that was accessible and something that was understood by these people who were traditionally a little bit more conservative. And I think that really does, again, go a long way for adoption. So I'm so excited to watch that and, and watch it unfold. Now we'll pop absolutely everything in the show notes so people can go and find you and find out a little bit more and watch along on this journey. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners or any other words of wisdom for them? Yeah, I think part of why you and I and a lot of the folks who are listening today are in crypto is because there's the potential to do something actually new. And I know every wave of technology feels this way. You know, the internet at the time, it felt really groundbreaking, really new. And the way the internet's turned out didn't fulfill all of the dreams of the early internet, but it definitely has had a large impact on the world. And I think the same thing with crypto, you know, while we're here, yes, there are great opportunities to make cool products and make a lot of money and have a lot of fun. But, you know, ultimately, what's exciting is the opportunity to build something that truly has not been done before, where you can say, all right, this just was not possible or never could happen with the existing technologies that we had before. It's genuinely innovative and genuinely enabled by blockchain. And that's how I feel about the transparency that we can bring with lending in DeFi. So if you're excited about 
DeFi, about lending on the blockchain, about building the future of what these kinds of technologies are going to look like, please get in touch with us. You can find all the info in the show notes and at foofi.io. Follow us on Twitter, join our Discord, become a part of our DAO. We've got a very active community that's excited about this kind of stuff, and we would love to have you join our community or even join our team if it's something that you want to dive into full time. So please come and talk with us and uh, help us build something really cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us today, Raphael. It's been amazing. And we will definitely talk to you very soon. Thank you, Alicia. I really appreciate it. It was great to be on. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.